We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It is Tuesday, April 23rd, and we are just about to have all the first round playoff series wrapped up. So as we did on our previous podcast, which you can go back and listen to if you'd like, I think it's still relevant as it's a Milwaukee Bucks and Boston Celtics first round preview. We are going to do the same thing and dig deeply into the Golden State Warriors and Houston Rockets first round matchup that, again, we are assuming is going to eventually come to fruition. And I think this series is one of the most, if not the most consequential second round series I can remember in recent history. Obviously, it's going to be an awesome series from a competitive standpoint, but the way the result of this series whether it goes Golden State or Houston, is going to have probably huge ramifications for where Houston or Golden State are going forward. I think if Golden State loses, I'm not going to say it's the end of their dynasty or anything. I mean, they can still bring back a very good group. Yeah. But, you know, you think the powers might shift a little bit. And with Houston, they're not getting any younger. This is this is their window. And sometimes teams push their window a little bit too much and – they have higher aspirations than are maybe logical, but obviously for the Warriors, a championship is a realistic goal, and as it is for Houston, that's an awesome team. So I think we have a gift here in the second round amongst three other awesome series that the Golden State Warriors and the Houston Rockets are playing each other in the second round of the Western Conference playoffs. We're going to dig into it. Am I overhyping this? No. Charlie Johnson. No, no. I think that, and what's even more interesting, even if 
the Warriors losing to the Rockets this year didn't make Kevin Durant leave in free agency or didn't, you know, make them trade Draymond Green or or whatever happens to the Warriors. So you're saying like they could kind of shift their path if they lose the series. I think even more than that, it would just make them human to have a team that's right. not led by LeBron James beat them, then they're beatable. Now you're beatable. You're still not beatable if LeBron's the only team that beat you. I think the Warriors still need to be beaten. And if the Rockets do that this year, then even if they bring back the same collection of talent, you know, there's a a chink in their armor. And what's kind of been surprising to me, and at the end we'll kind of get to predictions of the series, but, you know, I've been listening, reading, a lot of people whose basketball opinion I respect, and this series is really being thrown out as a somewhat of a coin toss. People are picking Houston, mm-hmm. just straight yeah. up picking Houston, who does not have home court advantage. Surpri- Surprising. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I, I'm surprised by yeah. that, but it's, uh, I, I think it's, that makes it all the more interesting to dig into and see what it is that can transpire here. Because however this plays out is one, just in a vacuum of this season, I think that's probably your NBA champion. At least, but you know, best odds. Your best bet. Yeah. And then beyond that, there's going there's going to just be a ripple effect mm-hmm. that stems from this series. So let's get right into it. Um, we'll go briefly through who and what Golden State and Houston are. But the way that we came up with previewing this series is we're going to rank the 10 most impactful players in the series, which we both found is very difficult to define. But I don't even really care. Like, yeah. think about it how you want to think about it and don't get like, too mad at us if you're like, oh my God, no, Clint Capella is higher or whatever. <laughs> it's it was an interesting exercise for me to to kind of think about what role every one of these players is having and how much if they are able to exceed their expectations or exceed the impact that they typically have on a game mm-hmm. or or not meet meet those expectations, where that can move the needle in this series because yeah. if we do see it as a close to 50-50 series those individual impacts will you know sw- sway the result right so we're going to go through rank them 1 to 10 i have no idea what charlie's mm-hmm. 1 to 10 is he doesn't know what mine is either so we don't disagree very often but i think <laughs> we now will we kind set, of have to we set ourselves up to disagree here yes we need that sometimes you know <laughs> uh okay so i just want to lay out golden who golden state is who who Houston is from a statistical standpoint, you know, just the offensive rating, defensive rating sort of things. And then we'll jump right into number one, starting with the Warriors who went 57 and 25 this season. They were first in offensive rating, the best offensive rating of all time, 114.9. Wow. 11th in defensive rating uh, in the league, 108.5, which led to the second best net rating in the NBA, only trailing the Milwaukee Bucks. In addition to that, they were 10th in pace, which is an interesting sort of thing to parse with them, too, because they oftentimes play very slow. Mm-hmm. Houston, on the other side, which <laughs> sometimes it's just funny to look at records and be like, what, the Rockets only won four less games than the Warriors? I know. This, it I was, forget that. <laughs> it was a weird season for that yeah. in the Western Conference because there were some teams who came on strong at the end of the season and then vice versa. The Warriors just, just coasted. Coasted. Right. Yeah. Um, the Rockets were second in offensive rating this season, 114.8, which is the second best offensive rating of all time. Uh, their defensive rating was 110.1, 18th in the league, and they were fifth in net rating. But 
after the All-Star break, they were, were ridiculous. Their net rating was plus 10.7, which is even noticeably better than what the Bucks were for the for the season, who was the most dominant net rating team ever. And then on defense, they allowed 6.9 fewer points per 100 possessions, ma- making them the second best defensive team in the league after the All-Star break. Wow. Which caught my eye. That was uh, the biggest post-break improvement by a very wide margin in the league. So wide margin. Houston is something different than they were at the beginning of the year. And as you kind of were talking about the coasting and the end of the end of this season just kind of felt weird and unimportant. Yeah. After the all-star break. And except, get, except for the MVP race, that was basically sure. talk of the town. I just think with Houston that matters and the whole cliche of peaking at the right time they're doing that. It, it seems like they couldn't be in a better place to be entering the series against the juggernaut that is the the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. And a big part of that, which we'll get to, is Chris Paul looks healthy. James Harden is James doing James Harden things. They don't have the holes we might have thought they would have in the playoffs. When at the beginning of the year, no Ariza, no Bamute, a change in scheme made them seem it, it it felt like during the season that the Rockets this year would only be able to to even if optimized become 85 90% of what they were last year. And that hasn't been the case. They I, I think they're playing as well as they did last year when they were a 65 win team who was dominant through the regular season. They just became that at the end of the year mm-hmm. rather than doing it for a full 82 games. When you're talking about the exertion that James Harden plays with and Chris Paul and his lengthy injuries or fatigue kind of related injuries. Yep. I'm not breaking any news here. That seems very important too. Yeah. So I don't know if that kind of sets the stage for, for the series of who the two teams are before we get in. Do you have anything on the teams at large before we dig into the individuals? No, I, you know, I think it's interesting. They're, they're generally very similar teams to last year. The Warriors brought in Boogie, but now Boogie's gone. And so they kind of have that same depth issue that they had last year, but they're still extremely talented. And the Warrior or the the Rockets, excuse me, lost a couple rotational players from last season, but James Harden's probably taken a step forward. Chris Paul, after kind of being quiet for most of the season, is very productive again. And then they have some role players that are are stepping up and, and filling in those shoes of the players who left from last season. So I think it's interesting that it, it's a, it feels like a very similar series, but I think that's something that you mentioned a few minutes ago in your intro is really important and is being overlooked, and that's the fact that the Warriors have home court advantage this year. Last year, the Rockets had home court advantage, and when two teams are relatively evenly matched, like the Rockets and the Warriors are, that makes a huge difference. Not just in the four to three part of it, but having the first two at home. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think people always kind of sleep on that and the – that's something that I'm considering greatly in all four of these second round matchups that I think all of which could kind of go either way mm-hmm. that it's huge for the the better seated team to be able to set the tone at home where there's obviously a greater level of comfort comfort for players playing at home and then the, the fan element of it that is going to be all of those game ones are going to be raucous and you're at a serious disadvantage mm-hmm. by starting on the road so yes that I think is I don't want to know if that's the single most surprising thing for me when I hear these people 
picking the Rockets to win. But that doesn't seem to be considered. And yes. at least it's not something, because I've, I've, I'm with you. I've been hearing a lot of that. The Rockets are going to win, and I think that that makes sense. You're rolling off all this momentum that the Rockets have over basically the last three, four months, and the Warriors during that same time span have really coasted. So I think it makes sense that people would look and go, you know what, yeah, I think the Rockets are going to beat the Warriors this year, but I don't think that that fact is being discussed enough, and I think that's really going to matter. So that's why, for me at least, I went into this with the Warriors as my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, we didn't and, find a disagreement. <laughs> and and not like just barely favorites too, like you know meaningful favorites, and that really matters to me when I think about which player is going to be the most impactful. Because to your point, when I was thinking about this, I, I tried to answer the question who, if they played above expectations, would influence the series the most? And I think that that's going to lend itself toward making the players on the the underdog team more valuable, right. if that makes sense. No, definitely. So, again, what we, what we want to do <clears throat> in going through these teams is define who the 10 most impactful players mm-hmm. will be in the series, which is a weird way to put it, but... We didn't want to just rank them. Yeah. In a way, it's kind of a ranking, but yeah. in another way, it's who can push or pull the the result of this most. So what was the, the general way that you defined impact for players? It was that that trying to decide who, like, if James Harden plays better than expectations, does that shift the result of the series more than if Steph Curry does, than if Steph Curry just plays better than expectations, which has more of an impact on the outcome. And that was the 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 thought process I tried to follow all the way down my list, even when you're getting into rotational guys like Andre Iguodala. If he outperforms expectations, how much can that single-handedly change the outcome of the series versus someone like Eric Gordon or P.J. Tucker? Like, how does that change... And so that was the question I was trying to answer. Right. And I I think I'm along those lines, but I was sitting there as I was putting together my list and I was like, what does impactful mean? (laughs) Like literally I think about it in that way. I Googled impactful and you know, dictionary.com, like a couple of different definitions of it. And I thought this one was just cool, simple, and easy. And it was having the power to affect. Yep. And so that's the way I kind of looked at it. And well, I guess we'll see how much that, differentiates that, and from that you. seems pretty similar but I think what I took into consideration a little bit more was was the players who can have the highest volume mm-hmm. therefore have a bigger effect and that's kind of bearing my lead a little bit of James Harden's gonna be my my number one and as we know he had a near 40 percent usage rate in this league and if you watched a single minute or even a highlight of the Houston Rockets you know that he has probably the highest ability to affect out of anyone in the entire league. So I think I also considered that in a way that they have the, if you have a huge ability to affect, then you can really underachieve. Yeah, absolutely. And that can swing the series and that can swing how impactful you are in in the result of this, this series. So that as kind of, as I get a little bit further down my list, once you start, when you get to players who are question marks, mm-hmm. I, I think we feel pretty confident about the Stephs and KDs, you know, meeting the challenge. Like I don't think they'll turn in a stinker. Yeah. But there are a couple of guys, once you get down there, 
the rotational pieces, as you put it, who can really underachieve, and that can have a massive effect on on the result. Mm-hmm. So you want to go first, even though I already said James Harden? I have James Harden, too. Okay. And it, it's, it seemed like the obvious pick. I mean, if James Harden goes out and has three stinkers in, let's call it a six-game series, mm-hmm. or whatever it is, if James Harden has a couple of stinkers, just bad games, where not only is he a sieve on the defensive end, but his shot's not falling. He takes eight step back threes and only one of them goes in. Mm-hmm. That that will impact the series more than anyone else can. More than Steph Curry doing the same thing, more than Kevin Durant doing the same thing. James Harden underperforming will affect the series more than anything else can. And the same could be said for him overperforming, outperforming. Right. So with him, it was I went back and looked at the four box scores of when these two teams played each other during the regular season, which the Rockets won three of the four and and went back and watched a little bit of those games. And my biggest takeaway is that we should throw that out <laughs> largely. Uh, in every one of the games, every one of those games, it was one of the key players was missing. The what is it? I have it here. The the first game, Curry didn't play. The second game, Chris Paul didn't play. The third game, Harden didn't play. And the fourth game, Durant didn't play. Oh, okay. So That's, there was... Th- yeah. The teams never played each other at full strength mm-hmm. during the season. So continuing on in my box score activity, I was just looking at players, and I know this is a super basic way of assessing how well somebody played, but I look at field goal percentage, which is not a great measurement, but I go, oh, if it's over 50%, I'm like, that player played offense yeah. really well. What's funny with James Harden is no player makes that stat look stupider than him because of the volume yeah. of threes that he shot. There were numerous games where he shot under 50% from the field, but over 40% from three yep. When in, in those the three times they played against each other. And that just, I was like, wow. He shot 49 threes in three games wow. <laughs> against them. And that's just going to swing the series. Mm-hmm. The percentage of three could swing the series. The percentage of threes that James Harden makes based on the volume of his actions. And we know the three isn't the only way he impacts the game. He's also elite in isolations. He isolated 927 times more than any other player in the NBA this season. Wow. The next highest player was like 300 something. 10 per game. Yes. It's more than 10 per game. A ridiculously high amount. And I know everyone knows that kind of, but he has such an ability given the volume that he's been handed by this team to move the needle one way or the other. And that doesn't make him necessarily a better player than Kevin Durant or Steph Curry, but it makes him the most impactful player in this series. Yeah. And I don't think it's really close. Yeah. I totally agree with that. You want to go number two? Yeah. My number two is this was the hardest one for me. It gets, this was a really difficult exercise (laughs) for me. I could have like made it really easy and try to tear it or something like that, but it was really hard. There's like a chunk here that's tough. And then we'll get into it. My number two is Steph Curry. And the biggest reason for that is looking at both upside and downside. I think that Steph Curry, as it relates to upside, he can he can make this a non-series. If he has, you know, his his best playoff series ever, which could happen, then I don't think it's close. Mm-hmm. Because I think that Kevin Durant is such a stalwart and that Kevin Durant gives the Warrior this Warriors team a baseline that's just really good. And if Steph Curry is going to go out and he's going to be making 30 foot threes from everywhere and coming off of screens and just hitting everything, I think the series is over. 
this for me was like a a scribble, a lot of scribbling, because I went Steph, KD, yep, yep. Steph. And I ultimately landed on KD. And a big thing that was initially making me choose Steph was the idea of if one of the two has to get hurt, or if one of the two is hurt, who would you choose? And I think it would be better for them if KD was hurt. Mm-hmm. I think Steph getting hurt would hurt the team more. But I don't think that's the way to look at it. Yeah, You have to kind of assume, more likely than not, that they're both going to be healthy for the entirety of the series. And while Curry has and statistically backed up the point impact he has on a full game is bigger than Durant. He was, the Warriors were 18.5 points per possession, better with Curry on the floor than they were with him off the floor. That was the largest on-off net rating differential in the whole NBA. KD was fourth, but his was 15.6. Steph has continually been statistically more impactful than KD. But in the playoffs, I'm, and a critical series like this, I think the dagger player is is the one that can be most impactful. I think it's going to be close, and there's nobody else in the league, I think, more capable of shooting daggers and ending games yeah. than Kevin Durant. And that can be both offensively and defensively where he's a player who can recognize the moment and do things that nobody else can do. It doesn't matter what you're doing defensively or where the game is going. Durant has an ability to elevate himself to a level where the defense and the moment don't really matter. And that was that's what moved the needle for me when I thought of Durant over Curry, while I think Curry is the more important to the yeah, team. Yeah. But in the series, I think Kevin Durant will be the most impactful warrior. I think that's super defensible. Something that probably comes to fruition more toward the bottom of my list is that emphasis on trying to remind myself how important defense is. And mm-hmm. for that reason, I think you could just basically say Kevin Durant's more important because of what he can do on the defensive end. Where do you think, how do you think they use him defensively? I don't know. Do you think they just, do you think they use him on Harden? Do you think that they put Clay Thompson on Harden? I, I think the assumption is it'll be Clay. It's what they've done in the past. But again, I think you have this dagger to throw of, now we're going to put Durant, who's been like, loitering on Daniel House yeah. and Gerald Green on the, in the fourth quarter on Harden, and it's a that's a different creature mm-hmm. to be defended by Harden. And I think, again, it's in a, a critical moment when the games are close that he can do something and give you something that nobody else on the Warriors can do. So I think there'll be, I think there'll be some of that, and I also think he's just, as a defender, super impactful off the ball. Mm-hmm. He is... Extremely intelligent there and has the size and the ability to use that size as well as anybody yeah. in, in the entire league. So yeah. he he's just both ends extremely impactful. And and I'm sure Steve Kerr would make an argument that it really helps Kevin Durant on the offensive end to let him play off-ball defense, especially mm-hmm. defense that's not on James Harden because that would get tiring fast. And I think some coaches would just argue that that – I mean, it's Giannis is – plays off the ball all the time. Yeah. He's definitely the Bucks' best defender, but being able to have this fast, long, tall player as kind of your third cog of your defense, yeah. that is a weapon. Absolutely. That is an, an absolute weapon for particularly rim defense, mm-hmm. I would say, and, and deterring shots 
in the lane. Against a team who's going to run a lot of pick and rolls. Exactly. Too. Yeah. Um, so did we flip-flop our number threes? Yes. Yeah. So then I, I, have, I, have, I have Steph as my third, and it's nothing to take away from him. And the one I th- thing I want to talk about with Curry is that one of my pet peeves, and it's not that Kyrie isn't clutch. It's that he wears this clutch crown, of, at particularly of the point guard position. And I think so much of that is influenced by a shot he made in the finals, which was <laughs> great. And Kyrie is a, is a very good clutch player. But if you look at how NBA.com defines clutch, Steph Curry led the league in effective field goal percentage in clutch situations, which is under five minutes in the game within with five. the score within five points. 60.6%. Second was Kyrie Irving, 56.1%. Hmm. That is a notable gap. And it wasn't just a this year thing. Kyrie was also very good in the top 10 last year, 52% in those situations. But Steph was 65.2. He has he just is a more effective shooter yeah, and is able to in clutch situations, get a three more than, more than Kyrie is. And I know we aren't, we aren't doing rocket Celtics here, but that is what makes Steph Curry in a series again, that we're assuming is going to be close in a battle that Steph can just really impact the end of games. Yeah. Almost as much as I think Kevin Durant can. Yeah, totally. And he does it in such a different way from Kyrie Irving. I think of Kyrie just like, go get a bucket. Like what he did in game seven yeah. of the 2016 finals is take the ball at the top of the key and go get a bucket. Whereas Steph Curry, he's just so lethal, even when he's off of the ball and you have to account for him. And if you give him one inch of space, he's going to get off a clean three and he's going to make 50% of them. I just, I think Kyrie takes bad shots sometimes. And yeah. I don't think there are bad shots for Steph Curry. No. When was the last time you remember seeing Steph taking a shot where you, like, grimace? Well, well I remember that, but then they go in. Yeah, like, yeah, so it's not that anymore. Yeah, <laughs> he's just his elevated his efficiency to such a level as a shooter where it's pretty much any time Steph's shooting, you're like, I'm cool with that. Yeah. And that that we didn't want to do tears, but <laughs> that's why these three players are up here for me, and then it's kind of the rest of the, the list. Yeah. I'm curious who you have next. You want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. I have Chris Paul. Me too. Okay. I almost had him, like, I almost put him number two, to be honest. I almost put him ahead of Steph and KD. Just because for for a similar reason to Harden where, and you know, Chris Paul has played good, but I don't think he's played great throughout this playoff so far. If he plays great, that adds so much to this Houston Rockets team Mm -hmm. on both sides of the floor that we saw throughout the first half of the series between these two teams last year before Chris Paul got hurt before game seven. I mean, he just adds such an element to that team when he's on. And if he is on, if him and Harden are both on, then the Rockets are are in good shape. Well, and I think what you're kind of alluding to or what maybe people are picturing in their head there is the elite offensive Chris Paul who can get to the spot whenever he wants, which yep. he, he can do offensively. But I think we still sleep on who Chris Paul is as a defender. And even during this season, when he was healthy, what he was for the Rockets as a defender. There's fair arguments to say he's lost, not even an argument, it's just true. Physically, he's not the player he was five or six years ago. But defensively, he is. And that that manifested over the course of the season in the aggregated numbers for them. They were eight points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor defensively versus when he was off. And... When they were toiling at the beginning of the year, 
a lot of it was, well, now they just only have to rely on Harden to do everything offensively. True. Mm-hmm. But you also lost your best defender. And, and that had a big impact. So if you have him healthy, he's a secondary offensive weapon. And he's also a defensive weapon in this series who smart, physical, annoying, and effective. And I, I think that puts him as the, the fourth most impactful player in the series. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm with you. I'm excited to see how he can bounce back. This Rockets team is so interesting to think about and mm-hmm. what happens after this year and what happens in two years, especially because of that Chris Paul contract. Which is four more years? Yeah, yep, four more years, which, you know, maybe he'll keep doing what he did this year. Maybe he really was saving it. Yeah, maybe he really was. Well, we're going to learn. <laughs> yeah, we're going to learn. And I hope he was because I right. really, really like watching Chris Paul play oh, basketball. Yeah. Um, who's your five? My five is Eric Gordon. Ooh, got a difference. All right. Go, you go with Gordon first. I, uh, well, I basically think that the trio of Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker, and Daniel House is really going to swing this series. And I think that all you have to really do is look back at that game seven last year when they went 0 of 27 from three to finish the game, I think it was. Um, they've lost Ariza and Mbamute, and they basically have Eric Gordon and P.J. Tucker and Daniel House to take those threes. But all, all three of those guys are averaging more than six three-point attempts per game this postseason. And I think that outside of James Harden is what this Rockets offense wants to do is generate relatively open three-point shots. And that's what they're going to do, and they're going to keep taking them whether they make them or not. And so I think that those three players shooting the ball well from deep is going to impact the result of this series. Or if they don't shoot it well, it's going to impact it in a negative way. And I just think that, you know, I almost put P.J. Tucker ahead of Eric Gordon because of his defensive aptitude and the way that he can impact the game on that side of the ball. But I just think that Eric Gordon, as another offensive weapon, as somebody who's going to handle the ball as well, is going to be really impactful in this series. Everything you were describing at the beginning reflects in my list later because it with Houston, yes, it's it's Paul and Harden, but it's they don't shoot every shot. Yeah. And the effectiveness of the of the three-point shooters around them is huge. Obviously, you just got to think back to the over 27. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a a massive difference and what Gordon shoots, Tucker shoots, whoever will will have a great impact. But why I didn't have either of those players or any Houston player as my fifth person is because I think there is a very wide array of what Draymond Green can be in this series. Mm -hmm. And to my definition, that makes him very impactful. We have seen in the past, particularly in big games, the finals, whatever, Draymond able to elevate to another level fueled by his competitiveness and elite defense. But he is also a risk of the key players, I think, one of the biggest risks to just have a bad series. Mm-hmm. And in my uh, box score parsing, which I kind of disclaimed as the whole series, those games not really mattering that much, one thing really stood out, and it's that Draymond Green only made seven shots in four games. And I know offense isn't his most impactful area on the floor. It's it's defense. He's huge there, energy, getting the ball moving. But he's going to need to not be a massive minus offensively for the Warriors. I just think that's going to have to happen in this series. And I think they can lose if he puts together a handful of games like that, stinkers offensively. And 
I really think Houston is going to scheme in a way as much as is possible to try and make Draymond Green beat them. Yeah, offensively, absolutely. And there's there's no team that is more dismissive of him as a three point shooter. They just do the wave at him, let him let him shoot and chuck the ball at the backboard. If you, so if he makes those, that's going to be huge. They're going to have to then they'll have to adjust and that'll throw off the plan. But if he doesn't, that could really hurt. And without his three-point shooting at all, if that's like removed, he's just not shooting them, what can Draymond really give you offensively other than just pushing the ball in transition? Yes, he's a good passer, but he if he has the ball and the Rockets do not worry about helping at all and they're able to defend him with one man and he's just forced to score, he's just – He's not a strong post-up player. He's not a yeah. strong he's, – he's not strong at creating. His mm-hmm. best creation is just head down, downhill, trying to get to the rim. Eight, on 81% of his post-ups this season, he passed. Wow. And a lot, of, a lot of the times it worked. It's like, oh, we're kicking it out to Clay Thompson. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> like, that's, that's great. But if you compensate for that in a way where you say, face guard your, your man when Tramont has the ball in a, a frozen situation – then he's going to be forced to go through PJ Tucker or whoever to to score on the block, and that's just not that's not a strength of his. And I know it won't be a ton of possessions, but if he's if he's struggling with his jump shot from the perimeter and unable to to be able to inf- impact the offense in another way, I think that will just that will affect him. And because he, in many ways, is like the heartbeat of the team, that could really throw off the whole the whole vibe of the series. So yeah. my reason for having him as high as I do is because we know Draymond can get to a high level, but we also know he can get to a lower level. And that's just the vol- the potential for volatility there makes him very impactful for me. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you said. I have Draymond Green next on my list okay. in, in between Eric Gordon and PJ Tucker. And for a lot of the same reasons, because I think that this series is generally going to hinge on offense. It's going to be more or less a shootout. And the Rockets aren't going to guard Draymond Green, like pretty much, period. Was that clip when Carl Anthony Towns like waved his hand? Yeah. Was that Draymond? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going, it's going to be like that where mm-hmm. it's please shoot it, please mm-hmm. shoot it. So it, to your point, if he's making it, that's going to have a huge impact on this Warriors offense because if the defense has to start respecting it, which I get the feeling they just wouldn't, even if he made six in a row over three straight yeah. games. If they do decide to respect him, then his passing skills become a lot more valuable. And then there's more space for Steph and Clay and Draymond. And that impacts the game in a myriad of ways. And then on the defensive end, the only, even though it's going to be a shootout, Draymond Green has the capacity to affect that on some level. And if right. he can be the defensive player of the year candidate that I think he's definitely shown flashes of this year oh, and, yeah. and in this postseason, then he can make the marginal difference on the defensive end that gives his team that slight edge and right. what, what will be a shootout. Yes. Um, I guess my number six jumps on your list because he's ahead of B.J. Tucker, and that's Clay Thompson. Um, I don't think we need to go into how good of a shooter he is. He's elite, and he will get that. In, in many ways, there's, there's just only so much you know, game planning you can do for a player who's in constant motion and doesn't need a lot of time to get a shot off. What I think has been really in, impressive with Clay Thompson over the course of the season and watching him is his ability to 
go off the dribble so as to free himself up for three. And it's in the beginning of games when they're really overplaying him on the top side to force him to go into the lane. He now obliges and mm-hmm. does that. And he's a big dude with a with an ability to get to the basket or get to a mid-range shot and make those at a at a high rate. And then once he does that in the first quarter, and this actually happened, what made me think of this was game four against the Clippers where he he got rolling quick with a couple post-ups or just going off the drive. And I think he made four straight in the first quarter, all of which were two-pointers. And then from there, it affected the way they defended him, and he becomes open for threes. And then it becomes one of those clay barrages from threes. And yep. again, when you talk about impact and the ability to affect the game, if clay has one of those barrages in a game, that almost just that almost just makes it a Warriors win. Yeah, if everyone else yeah, is just absolutely. playing okay. And so, I think why I have clay as high as I do is because he just has that that high leverage, high upside kind of impact that that's possible from him. And then obviously with something I think we still sleep on is how how good he is do, as a defender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And defending Harden is, he's one of the probably, I mean, it's going to be so much better than what Utah yeah. was able to, to do against him. Part of that is having a lot of confidence in the players behind him to gang defend in, in those sort of ways. But Clay is a very capable point of attack defender and I think will do as good of a job on Harden as anyone can. It's like a shut him down. Nobody can do that. But Clay can, I don't know, contain him yeah. a, a bit there. And so that's, it was those things for Clay that pushed him up on my list was he's he's still evolving as an offensive player and his defense has just always been good. Yeah. I, I struggled with Clay almost more than anyone else because I think that as far as you know, who 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 playing poorly can really impact the series. I think Clay is low on the list. Yep. I think Clay playing really poorly because he's a solid defender because he spreads the floor. He still impacts the game a lot. So even if he's missing, if he's exactly, they're still going to defend. That's it. basically what playing poorly for Clay yep. is: is missing your shots. So even if he's missing his shots, he, he's a really impactful player. But the reason that he so so for me that would drive him down the list mm-hmm. this list because they they can do well what you know whether he's really on or whether he's really off right but what what brings him up more is what you said is that he more than anyone in the series besides Steph and and probably Harden, Harden yeah. can just win a game mm-hmm. with his offense he, he has shown he can just make 11 threes and win you the game yep so i and for that reason you know i i had Draymond in this spot and then i Told you this, I think. I have P.J. Tucker next. P.J. Tucker 7. But then I have Clay after him. Yeah. I also have P.J. Tucker 7. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Which I thought was high on my list. Yeah. But I think we're both thinking the same thing there where you have the Harden or Chris Paul attack out of isolation, pick yep. and roll, whatever. And then it's the importance of the three-point shooters around him. And I think what we saw against Los Angeles is that is the player in their starting lineup particularly that they're willing to leave mm-hmm. to – you know, to kind of stunt in to be able to chip Capella so he's not able to just get easy lobs at the rim in that sort of way. So he's – P.J. Tucker's going to be open to shoot threes in the series. Yep. And the rate in which he makes or misses those will have a big impact because his, his – vol- again, volume, he's going to have that volume of threes because they're going to be open threes that he's going to be told to take. Yep. It doesn't matter if you've missed the last nine. You need to keep taking those. And he made them. Yep, this season during the regular season. I mean, we don't, who knows what it's going to be. I'm not going to say he's the most like 
pure shooter in the world or anything no, like that. 46% on six and a half three-point attempts per game so far in the postseason, though. Wow. So he, he's hot right now. He led the league, and this is actually the most in NBA history, which that doesn't... I, People say anything NBA history about threes. You're like, well, yeah, duh. yeah. The last couple of years, you mean, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but he made 109 corner threes this season. Wow, that's a, that's a ton of corner threes. When you Daryl Morey is just like, yes. clapping his hands somewhere yes. right it's now. Like it's, it's a shorter three. Shoot it, PJ. Um, but him, like Clay, too. You have to consider his impact on the defensive end, obviously. Yep. And because he can impact both sides of the floor. He will have a big effect on both sides of the floor, whether he's making or missing, and to what level he's able to defend the litany of Warriors shooters. That that's what makes Tucker pop up on here. I mean, so for me, that's a, that's even ahead of Eric Gordon, who you had yeah. higher. Like I, I have, I have Tucker as the yeah, that would be the third most impactful rocket. Yeah, and I. No, comp- I even when I started talking about Eric Gordon said maybe I should have PJ Tucker, Tucker here. Yeah, right. So I mean, there's a lot of revisionist history going on in my mind right now. But I think those two players are just going to have such an impact on the series, and that's just because we saw it last year. Their whole goal is to get those guys shots. They have to make them. They have to make them, well, or else they're screwed. Because Harden, while he probably will have a game or two of that, there, there just needs to be somewhat of a baseline mm-hmm. from the surrounding players that allows him to kind of have his above average games yeah, or however you want to like look at it. But if you don't have that baseline from the shooters surrounding Harden or, and I would say Capella on the lobs, then it, it's going to be hard for Houston to win any game yep. if you're not getting impact from the, from those guys. So that's why I had him that high. I don't know. Are we are we on eight now for you? I think let's review our order so let's far. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's run through it. All right. So I had James Harden number one. I had Steph Curry number two. I had Kevin Durant number three. Okay. Pause right there because I had just a different Harden. Yeah. I had Durant and then Curry. Yep. And then we both had Chris Paul four. number four. At number five, I had Eric Gordon, and you had Draymond Green. Okay. Number six, I had Draymond, and I had Clay Thompson. Number seven, I had PJ Tucker. Also, PJ Tucker, and then number number eight for me was Clay Thompson. Okay, for those, you know, for those that 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 very reason that him being off on the offensive end doesn't change the Warriors' odds of winning this series that much, or just him being off in general. And I really think that I gave a lot more weight to these Houston players as far as their potential impact in this series goes because mm-hmm. I do think that they're the underdogs. So those players outperforming can be even more meaningful than right. if the Warriors do. And I think Clay Thompson also just has this floor that makes him less volatile. But he's also Clay Thompson. I have for my eight Clint Capella, which I think the biggest difference from yours is that I have him over Eric Gordon as well. Yeah. And yeah. in a really simple sense, we know what Clint Capella is. He shot ninety nine point two percent of his shots in the paint. He he's exactly what you think there, but he's better at it now than he was in previous seasons. He's been one of those players who is still on a a linear progression. He's young and developing and I think he's I think he's taking a physical step forward this year. The amount of athletic plays that he makes that aren't just dunks that over the course of the whole season and just in the first round as well has popped to me and his just kind of ability to control his body when he has the ball and know if this is a time where I now try and go up and under for a dunk, or I kick it back out. He, Clint Capella's basketball IQ, I guess, in a really simple sense, 
and physicality has increased where I just think that makes him more important to the Rockets than than Eric Gordon. Also, another reason is that what we've seen from the teams who have had some bit of success against Harden, it's when you're able to force him into a confusing area on the drive between passing it to Capella and and finishing the shot as like a floater. Like the floater is what Harden is worst at, which he's still pretty good. But if you can control Capella in those situations, if you can find a way to bring that third defender in to bump him off the spot, not have him just have easy dunk after dunk, that will have a big impact on James Harden, who is the most impactful player in the series. Yeah. So those things tied together made made Capella for me very important. And I think we don't necessarily think of Capella as this elite rim defender, which I would say he he's good. He's but he's he's not elite there. But what he is great at, and what we've seen in the playoffs, and I just this came up when I re, was rewatching some stuff, is he is a big who's able to just switch onto a wing mm-hmm. and and handle his own. He's agile. He just is. I mean, he is of almost any center in the NBA. He can handle that as well as anyone. And I thought this stat was really interesting. Capella defended 228 total isolations this season, which was 70 more than any other player in the NBA. Wow. Yeah. Like what? Which was crazy. And it's not that he statistically did that at like the best level. He gave up 0.85 points per possession in those situations, whereas Rudy Gobert was the best, 0.65. But Gobert defended 100 of those, and he defended 228. So to me what that says is Houston is very comfortable with putting him in situations yep. to defend anyone. And it can be one-on-one and they don't care because he can handle his own there. And that, in a series when you're playing an offense as powerful as Golden State, you can hold his own. And, I mean, it's probably it's a Golden State, so it's going to be higher than 0.85 points per possession. But the playoffs, isolation is it's, defined so yeah. much, in that, particularly with these two teams. And you have the center who's one of the most comfortable in those situations. I think that makes him impactful too. Yeah. It, to me, that, that that's a fascinating stat. It definitely speaks to how much the Rockets switch on the defensive yeah. end. Um, but beyond that, it kind of speaks to how they bait teams into those isolation matchups. Well, but there, people have started saying, like, and they have, they switch less. They don't switch five. Yeah, but they still switch probably they switch more with than the anyone big. else. They switch with the big a lot, mm-hmm. whereas a lot of teams are considered switching teams with their switch four team yep. where they switch everyone but the center. And the Rockets have done this weird sort of thing where they'll switch three or four, but they will allow Capella to be one of the switchers. Yeah, because... And that's rare. Be. Yeah. Just like in basketball, normally you're like, oh, we, we could switch everyone except for our big, slow-footed Brooke Lopez yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like, But Capella's just not that. But, and he that, isn't that player. And that's the Rockets' philosophy. We saw it last year when the Timberwolves played them in the playoffs. You'd mm-hmm. get... They'd say, like, yes, Carl Anthony Towns, back down James Harden. We know you think that's a mismatch. It's fine. We'll give you mm-hmm. that shot. And I, it'll be interesting to see whether the Warriors kind of say, okay, you know, it's the playoffs. Any isolation shot is a pretty decent shot. Or whether, or whether they'll say, no, we're, we're better than that. Mm-hmm. We, we can get a better shot than that. And, and how much they'll be baited into just taking Clint Capella off the dribble one-on-one because he is he's solid at it. But if you're Steph Curry and you, you see yeah. him in front of you, you want to attack. Mm-hmm. So how much that happens could could impact the and, series. And if Clint just doesn't 
do a good job there. Exactly. The, again, this to the downside yeah. swing of the impact is, yeah, if Steph finds something that's really working, like the step back is just, just able, Capella can't defend the step back and his speed to the rim, like that will, that could swing things against Houston in the same way. But um, he'll be, I was almost like, wow, he's eighth on my list, and I think he's really important yeah. in the series. But well, maybe it, that just speaks to how good everyone is. It, I mean, I think he's looked okay, but I th- I don't think he looks great right now. And okay. reportedly, he's sick. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity cost of Clint Capella to the Rockets is Nene and Kenneth Fareed, who nice players have kind of had nice late careers, Fareed a resurgence with the Rockets. But Nene stinks now. But And then you get those ISOs. Then they're taking him every time. Oh, yeah. Then Steph Curry is taking Kenneth Freed off the dribble every single possession when he's on the floor, and that changes the way that the Rockets have to approach things. Well, I think that means that they have to, they'll have to go Tucker at, at the, the five. five. Yeah, and they can do that, but it's like the death lineup for the Warriors. You can't, you can't go thirty minutes of Tucker at the five. They, they need Capella to be able to for for some of that time because yeah, you get to you get to Fareed or Nene and any meaningful stretch like anytime they're out there it's the we're trying to buy time here Mm -hmm. to get our guys rest yeah and yeah that's why just you just can't give up that much time against the warriors so it like i can just picture nene getting on the floor and it's like 12 to run yeah you know totally it's just that's happened the warriors have done it for for five years they've played centers off the floor series in and series Mm -hmm. out and they will do it with nene or kenneth Fareed. yes yeah um, nine for you? Was that? Nine for me was Capella. Okay, he was, okay. So I have Andre Iguodala. Still ah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, he was off my list. I, I thought he, yeah, I thought he might be. I still have him over Eric Gordon. Okay. So I think that's says something. Yeah. I think he is, appears from what I've watched recently to be as healthy, conditioned, whatever, as he has been. I think they took a step even further in that direction this year to save him. Makes sense. But then he only played 1,200 minutes this year. That is so little. Um, But his impact during the regular season was still huge. In those 1,200 minutes, they outscored their opponents this season by 317 points. That is so much. Where Curry had the biggest on the whole league on-off differential where the Warriors outscored their opponents by 689. But that was in 2,400 minutes. So it's like... I'm not saying that Iguodala is the same there because he's playing against benches and a whole lot of things, but Iggy can really swing runs. And he can, if he is himself, obviously that unleashes more of those smaller lineups that they can run that they're going to now have to do without Boogie. And what you can get out of him in this series, we make this, we make a whole big deal about having Chris Paul at 100%. And Harden at 100%, and it's earlier. Oh, it's so good for them that it's earlier in the in the playoffs that they're playing them. Same goes for Iggy. Yeah, and he is healthy and ready to go right now. And I think that's that makes him just a very important player. And it's something they've sort of been missing at least last year. The last two years has Iggy been banged up? He, yeah, where he's just been like kind of questionable. Yeah, like, oh, his and then he actually misses game. Like, he's missed like finals games because he's just he can get hurt. He can. Yeah, have things that just pull him out. This stat I thought was nuts. Iggy, Iggy led the league in field goal percentage in the restricted area. Wow. Right? Ain't that a center? Like, you would think that would be DeAndre Jordan or something yeah, like that. Yeah, or Rudy Gobert or whatever. 83% in the 83. restricted area. 
I mean, this is because he's getting dunks. Like, he's getting open cuts that yeah. lead to dunks. But he had, I mean, over 100 attempts from there, the best of any player in the league who shot over 100 shots in the restricted area. So he is just one right can affect the floor on both, or both sides of the floor. Yeah, probably one of the most interesting finals MVPs of all time. Oh, yeah, God, I forgot about that. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I don't know when, if that when, was right. But. When LeBron probably should have won it. Yeah, or, yes. Or, uh, or Steph. Right. Yeah. So does that mean you have Eric Gordon 10th? I have Eric Gordon 10th. Okay. So who's your 10th? Because your 10 will not be on my list. No, I had. I really struggled with this. It was between three different players. One of them was Iguodala, but he was the first one I cut out. Okay. So he ended up being 12th. So I really struggled between Daniel House and the combination of Andrew Bogut and Kevin Looney. Looney. And I ended up going with House, which is interesting because I think there's a world where he's... Because he was in the D League or G League for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think there's a world where he's like genuinely played off of the floor. Yeah. Like he plays terribly and they just stop playing him and they go to Gerald Green and they go to more like Austin Rivers or whatever they decide to do. I think that happens. But I think that... Could happen. Could Yes. (laughs) I think that could happen. But I think that the flip side is that there's a world where he has a coming out party and he, and he shoots a lot of threes and he does well and he plays like solid defense. Danny Green in that finals yeah. where he made like six threes a game or something. Yeah, and this is a guy it. who literally got cut from the Rockets earlier this year <laughs> only to be re-signed and work his way back into their <laughs> notoriously short playoff rotation. So I think that there's a world where you know he plays that Ariza role, he plays that Luke Mbamute role from last year, but does it well and kind of becomes a storyline of the series. I... I, I don't have him on my list, but it's 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 for a lot of the same reasons that we put Tucker as high as we did. Yeah, yep. You need to have guys that are able to sh- to make shoot and make threes at a high level and play defense. Yeah, you know, at a average rate. And which I think Gerald Green can't do no. So that's why that what's what makes House more impactful than yeah, him, for example. And I think me having House on the list and having PJ Tucker high and Eric Gordon high also shows my bias in this exercise in choosing the Rockets over the Warriors because mm. I do feel like they can move the needle more by either playing well or playing yeah. poorly because they just need everything to go right, to I win. think, to win this right. series. Um, I think it's interesting, and uh, before I get to my reasoning for having Eric Gordon lower, I guess, uh, I do think we should touch on Looney, Bogut, yeah. and the and the lack of Boogie in the series because this is the series where... Boogie would have had an impact, and we talked about the lack of size that Houston has and bigs to be able to defend him with. And by not having him, you're going to be playing playing Bogut slash Looney. I know Bogut's had a good series here in in the first round. I just don't think that highly of him as a player, and he's just kind of a a hack and. Big and (laughs) he's good at setting screens and he has good vision for a center. But I think Looney could have a big impact in this series. You think he'll end up playing more than Bogut? Yeah, I like a lot. Yeah, I think that's likely. Um, And and Looney can be just he can be Capella ish. Yeah, he's been solid in in that sort of way, like a a lower because of the way they play a lower volume. But he just doesn't. Bogut can hurt you at times. And I think Looney's safe. And that that's why when they are wanting to play with a traditional center, they'll use him uh, more more so than Bogut. But we will see a lot of, just in the series, it's going to be a lot of time where there's just small guys playing. Yeah. You well, know? and what's interesting is Bogut will probably start. 
Yeah. I mean, he's been starting, so that'll be... I mean, will he get the play four minutes and then don't play the rest of the game? Mm-hmm. Could very well be. It was interesting to see how how much he played versus didn't play pre-boogie, post-boogie, and like Looney, I'm talking about Looney, like he was out of the rotation mm-hmm. a lot of time or just like a couple minutes here and there. But again, they're going to play a center some. And that's, you know, that's a, one of your five players out there. Yeah. And like that, that's going to matter. And I think that's why we should acknowledge that at least in this series, think what you want about Boogie. Like he is, he would have helped here yeah. against, against Houston. I feel pretty confident about that. Totally. Remember Jordan Bell? Not really. <laughs> Did he start last year in the finals? Well, he'll, he'll, yeah, yeah. yeah, he'll probably play in this series too. You think so? I think. If I don't know. I wonder well, if they are going smaller. But like, they have Dray- They still have Draymond, and he's going to play the five for some number of minutes every game. Yeah, I, I, I would be surprised if we don't see any Jordan Bell, like yeah. in real in real minutes. At and some, you know. I think they'll at least try it. Um, but again, like who knows? All right, my last one is Eric Gordon, and I don't know. It's not even that I don't like Eric Gordon or anything like that, but. He, well, he's one, he's pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. It just, he doesn't seem to be a massive swing player for me. But where I feel like I could be wrong or influenced is that he had a really bad first half of the season. And he's come on a lot more recently. And he did that in the playoffs last year too, where you were like, wow, Eric Gordon is actually, I don't want to say star, but like he- he, He's in that borderline area when he's- when he's good, like he's like borderline all-star level. But I don't know if you can really count on that from him. He was 48% from the field before the break, or effective field goal percentage before the break, 61 afterwards. So he, like the Rockets, have have really come on of late, and I think those two things probably do correspond together. But the Rockets' offense starts with Harden and Paul, yep. isolations, pick and rolls, and from there, it goes to a floater slash lob to Capella, and then it goes to the corner three-point shooters. And that's most frequently going to be Tucker or House mm-hmm. in those situations. Yes, there will be other times where Eric Gordon is going to be asked to create, and he's a good isolation player himself, as is Austin Rivers, actually, at times. But that sort of role is more tertiary, or I think will be, in, in this series because I think Houston knows, like, we need to do as much as we possibly can. We need to do the things we do best to be able to beat them and to eliminate as many moments as possible of guys taking shots that are less efficient than James Harden looks or Chris Paul looks or Capella dunks. Like they're going to limit that as much as possible. It will be interesting if they're able to find a way to, to if they go like really small, to shift Gordon into being one of the corner shooters because I'd feel a lot more confident in his shooting yeah, ability. That's interesting. Then Tucker or House or Green or whoever. But they usually kind of keep him as a kickout option. Okay, now we're late shot clock. We want Gordon to be attacking from you know the yeah. the opposite wing in that sort of way. Yep. So I think that just happens in the playoffs though. And I agree with you. Like the Rockets are not it's it's not ideal for them to have Eric Gordon initiating a set really ever. Mm-hmm. They'd probably rather that never happened. But I don't think that was different last year. And he still put up fifteen field goal attempts per game throughout the playoffs. He was awesome in the Warriors series last year. Like he yeah. was really good. But I think that, that 
volatility that you mentioned is kind mm-hmm. of what makes him important in this series, yeah. that he could skew high and he could skew low and therefore mm-hmm. could swing the series. But in in doing this exercise and in talking it out with you, I would go back and switch Gordon and Tucker in my order, to be okay. honest. Right. But I just, I think that those guys, those role players, role players, I mean, they're starters. Yeah. <laughs> these, these really important guys for, for the Rockets are really what could mm-hmm. swing the series. Because you just have to assume if the Rockets are going to win the series, it's because Paul and Harden have played great. Yep, yep. But Paul and Harden can play great, and if they get nothing from everyone else, you're still losing the series. Mm-hmm. And and that's what, yeah, kind of makes those guys bellwethers. Uh, we're not, as we did on the last podcast, we're not picking team in X amount of games. We're doing percent chance of winning the series, I don't know, just because I like doing that better, and it's... They don't care how many games they win or lose the series, and it's about winning or losing the series. So what was the odds you set on this series? I I tried to be consistent with, with last week, and even if that wasn't correct or the right way of looking at it or whatever, I just used that as my baseline. So I said that I gave the Milwaukee Bucks a 70% chance mm-hmm. of, of beating the Boston Celtics. And I tried to use that as my baseline to say, do I think it's more likely that Houston beats Golden State or less likely that Houston beats Golden State mm-hmm. than that Bucks Celtics series? And what I ended up deciding is I would be equally surprised if the Bucks beat or if the Celtics beat the Bucks as I would be if the Rockets beat the Warriors. And so I gave them the same Warriors 70% chance of winning the series. So since we've recorded that podcast, the series odds have come out. <laughs> Did I tell you? I, I think I told you this. Yeah, story. yeah, we talked about um, it. on that Bucks series, and it was Seventy-one percent so is, is the odds for you listeners from last week, right in between a Wiggins free throw and a Cafe throw. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you and you had seventy percent. I had eighty-five percent on Milwaukee, which, according to Vegas, is very high. But I, I would bet Milwaukee in, yeah. in that situation. Um, there isn't a serious price out on this yet because those those two aren't matched up. But yeah. I have a gambling slash bookie friend who's very good at all right. Knocking, I asked him the same thing last week for oh, interesting, um, yeah. for the buck, and he nailed it exactly, minus two fifty. Oh wow! And so I, I said the same thing to him about this series, and what he said is minus three fifty, which is a seventy eight percent chance of Golden State winning the series, hmm. which was kind of high to me. I thought I was going to be high end on this series as well, kind of thinking maybe public perception would be like sixty percent. But if he's right, and who knows, we'll we'll find out in the coming days. Um, it is Golden State, and I just agree with him. And along those lines, think they have a no, Golden State has a noticeably higher chance of winning this game. It's the Golden State Warriors that, and they're at they have home court advantage. And and who, I mean, maybe you can argue Draymond, but who has taken a noticeable step back for them from last season? No one. no one, no one, and I know the Rockets are maybe playing as well as they did last year, and maybe they would have won it if if Paul would have played all seven games. I just think you have to say the Warriors are. I, I want the Rockets to win. I'm just like down for upsets and yeah, yeah, you know, throwing off the order. But if I'm betting, yeah, I'm going 75 percent that the that the Warriors win this series, and we'll we'll see what Vegas says, but. It just it's it's just too cute for me. The people who just think if I had to bet a thousand dollars, I would bet on Houston to win it. That does not it's trendy. That does not resonate with me. And 
Yeah, trendy, but you know, put your money out there and yeah, I'll take that bet. I'll take that bet, <laughs> Bill Simmons. <laughs> um, but that's yeah, okay. So so you're seventy percent in this series, seventy Golden State. And I'm seventy. Same as Milwaukee, Boston. Okay. Who 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 would you be more surprised? Which series would you be more surprised if it resulted in an upset? I would be more surprised if Boston. Okay, does yeah. I, I just that mostly speaks to my confidence in Milwaukee. I I, I think that. I mean, I, I do think it's not a non-meaningful 25. I'm saying 25% chance that Houston beats them. I feel like that's a lot. I, and I'm with you. I think that the odds makers and they're, they're the smart ones, Yeah. but they view it differently than we do mm-hmm. where I'm going. I'm with you. Even like 15%, I'd be going, that's a good chance. Like yeah. you got a nice little chance right. there. Don't give up. But, <laughs> but give for up. the odds makers, it's way different. Appa- yeah. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. We could, things could really change. And and Houston, Houston could win this, and then I think they probably go on to win the championship if they do. Man, that would be fun. Like e- yeah. either Milwaukee, Houston, or Toronto, Houston in the finals. It would just be so different. It'd be so fun. no, no Warriors, no LeBron. Like what is awesome. this? Two K? Like I mean, <laughs> it would be it would be it would be wild. Um, this this entire second round is going to be awesome. We if you missed our last podcast, you want to go back and listen to that, as we've just been talking about. We did. Well, not the exact same thing. We didn't rank the impact of players, but we kind of went through all of the important players in Milwaukee and Boston and how we see kind of that chess match between Boonholzer and Stevens playing out. And in a different sort of way than this series, the way the chess pieces are moved by those coaches can and will really, it will force the players on the floor to show us how much they can affect the game. I mean, there will be, if they go with Durant on Harden, you will be asked to, how much can you affect the game, Harden? Or maybe as an externality, that leads to more corner threes needing to be attempted from P.J. Tucker. Like, the the chess pieces in all the second round series are going to be fascinating. And that's, that's my favorite thing about the NBA playoffs. And we don't usually get this type of basketball this early in the spring. And... I don't know. You gotta have everybody should just clear their like life schedules yes. for the next. Because don't you think every one of these playoff series is going to go like second round is going to go like six games at least? Like it, if they I'd don't, be surprised if they yeah. Didn't. If they don't, it'll be a, a surprise. What I think is what makes that really interesting is that we're going to get kind of a fake Western Conference Finals team. Right. Like I kind of get the feeling it's going to be the Blazers. Yeah. And that's going to whoever it is, if it's the Blazers, the Spurs, or the Nuggets, it's going to do wonders especially if it's the the Blazers or Nuggets for Lillard and Jokic it'll do wonders for their you know near-term legacy but, but okay if those are odds if those are what the odds are if he, he if it's minus 350 yeah which is 78 percent Warriors in this series against the Rockets what is it against the Blazers oh it's or the Nuggets I mean 95 percent but you'll always be able to say oh yeah remember Lillard did make it to that Western Conference final. yeah but in the same way that he got to the second round yeah when they beat the Clippers without Paul and Griffin it's like I just context. don't think the history books are that use minutia that way no I don't you're right they definitely they definitely don't and nothing to take away from Damian Lillard who's awesome. absolutely yes been, I've loved that series and he's, he's like the greatest it just <laughs> like Yes, people who didn't watch the NBA during the regular season and think that Russell Westbrook is a superior player yeah. to Damian Lillard, it's like, boom. Exactly. He's not. And <laughs> like I don't I don't know how you want to like line that up, but he's not. Like that's still a debate going on and it's so interesting. It's like, what? I just 
<laughs> it's because history books. Yeah, yeah, go, yeah. He won the MVP. Yeah, he's got What's Damian MVP? Lillard he made done? It, made it to the finals. Yes. Yeah. It's not to subtract from what the Blazers are doing at all because that's sweet going this far with with one star, but they are multiple levels below yeah. this this Warriors Rocket series. So we'll um we'll see how this all kind of plays out. I don't know where we'll be at next week, but we'll come back with another sort of dive into whatever it is we have um in front of us that's happening with the playoffs. Hoping you're liking this format. Sorry if you listen to this podcast for Timberwolves stuff, but they aren't playing anymore. So <laughs> maybe the next one will be about a new GM. Who knows? There you go. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we could have some of that, but I'm enjoying doing NBA playoffs and just a different, a different brand of basketball than, you know, Tuesday night games against the Hornets, <laughs> which just kind of get old during the regular season. So thank you for sticking together with sticking together, sticking with us uh, for this. You can follow uh, all of Charlie's work on Twitter. He wrote actually something on the Timberwolves and, and the Timberwolves bigs, he's kind of doing a, a series of looking back at the season through a statistical lens of the different groupings, the bigs, the wings, and the guards. So you can check all that out on zonecoverage.com slash Timberwolves. Again, he's at C. John's MBA. I am at Dane Moore MBA. And you can follow everything we do at Zone Coverage MN. Um, until next week, he's out. Like nobody else around you